Hallelujah. But today is November the 11th, 2012. And by the look of the size of the crowd, someone already gave out my message time. <laughs> and the title of the message today is, Should Christians Pay Tithe? And if today is your, your first day here, if you're visiting, please don't leave saying that's all those people preach about. <laughs> because they hardly ever get that message around here. Alright, is that true? true and, and you are a given church. I'm proud to be a part of it, excited of what God is doing here and have done through you. <clears throat> but before I get into the tithe part, <clears throat> I'd like to cover two topics. And the first one is our responsibility or our obligation to the Word of God and to fulfill the Word of God. You know, in John 1, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that Word to be Jesus. And we know that God sent Jesus to the earth, and he became the living Word of God here, as we know, living. You and I, living. He became the living Word of God. And He had to come and He had to do that because when God set Adam in the garden, He gave the command to Adam to rule over and to subdue the world. He gave man the order to to rule and to reign and dominion over the world. So through man, sin came into the earth. And through man, through the second Adam, sin was removed from the earth. So when Jesus came, he became the living word of God. And in John 1.12, we can turn there. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of the natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling here among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> so, we know, we know what God, what Jesus came here to do, but what's our part? You know, he says that we are to be like God. And you know what the word says? It says in 1 Peter, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. There's that word again, the living word of God. 
It says in Peter, First Peter, chapter four. Let's read it. Verse eleven. If anyone speaks, he should do this as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the honor, and the power. You know, so it's telling us to be and to work according to what we know the Word tells us to do. And who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. So I'm getting to a point here, and the point is that God's calling us to live the Word, to be the Word of God, to be the living Word of God. He says in John 14, let me turn that, John 14, 12. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And I, and he, he will do even greater things because I go to the Father. To do what Jesus has been doing. Now when we think about this, and we've always been taught here. When we think about, oh, he created, he, he did the miracles. He laid hands on the sick and they all recovered. He uh, walked on water. All the things, all the miracles he's done. And that's what we think on. That's what we've been taught here in our American church. But what about the rest of the things he did? What about when he was tempted in the desert? And he overcame the devil by the word. What about when he was tempted in the, in the garden when he prayed and sweat dropped the blood? But he had the strength to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, <coughs> God doesn't want us to live our life here on earth with the Word of God. God wants us to live our life here on, to live the living Word of God through our life. I want everybody to hold up his finger. Okay, now put it in your chest and say, I am the living Word of God. I am the living Word of God. No pressure. <laughs> Huh? It brings things to a greater light when we look at what our responsibility is, is to live the Word of God, to be the Word of God. You know, we go around saying, we've got saying things like, your life might be the only Bible someone gets to read. Well, that's it. That's what it's supposed to be, the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> now I've had a, a friend of mine that, you know, he was going through some times and I was telling him about the word of God. He said, well, guess what? I'm not Jesus. Guess what? I'm not Jesus either. But I'm called to be the living word of God. 
And if I had to do this in my own strength, I couldn't do it. But through the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're more than conquerors. We can more than do this. And that's what, what he's, Jesus is telling us in those scriptures is that because he goes to the Father, because he goes to the Father to make intercession with us, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome and we can become the living Word of God. Now, <clears throat> there's no picnic being a Christian. Just like getting old, not for sisters, okay? <laughs> I get an amen back there? <laughs> but <clears throat> we endure by the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture comforts us in telling us that our, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When we realize, and the only way we do that is we realize that it's not us doing it. You know? Because God has a way of putting us in a situation to work at something or to conquer something or to do something that uh, we don't have strength to do that. Once, it's, once we overcome that and get the victory, we realize that we got to give, we have to give the power and the glory to God for, for delivering us through that. Amen? Amen. So we are to be the living Word of God. <clears throat> uh, and another, another topic that I wanted to talk about was the um, continuity of the Bible. You know, how God set something in the, in the motion and it never stops. You know, the, the, the Bible, the Word of God, starts something in the beginning and it, it never ends until it meets its fulfillment or what God called it to be. <clears throat> we see this, we see this in creation. You know, when God placed the sun and he set the stars and the earth and the moon and he set all of that in motion, and it never stopped. It never stopped until, and never will until it fulfills the calling and the, the distance that God set it to go. <clears throat> now, we can also see this um, in, the, in the Word of God about the blood covenant. The first blood covenant was in the garden with Adam and Eve. God, uh, when, when Adam came to God and he had sinned, he realized he was naked. Now, nakedness in the Bible, anytime, refers to sin. Refers to man's sin. And so God sacrificed an animal to take those skins and covered the nakedness the sin of Adam and Eve. But God set that sacrifice and that practice of that sacrifice in motion in the garden. And it was some um, 2,500 years later before we could see a glimpse of what that sacrifice was about, what it covered. At the time in, in Egypt, when God delivered his people 
from, from Egypt, we realize that that sacrifice was the Passover lamb. And where God took the, the, the Passover lamb, had to meet a certain criteria, had to be without spot, without blemish, had to be the firstborn of the, of the female, and it had to be the first male child. So the meat diet requirement was the, was the Passover lamb. But it was 1,500 years after that or so, we found out what the Passover lamb was really about. Jesus. So you see what I'm, what I'm getting at is the, the, the Bible here is divine and salome. It has a flow. It has a, a peace to it. And that it has one precept upon precept that it's built. It's like a flower to me. I like to write to this, to this, related to, like a rose. You know, a, a rose, when it's in a bud and it's in the, the bush, you hardly even recognize that it's there. We saw these, we drove by these, was in Chicago, we drove by flowers every, every, every week, never realized. Then all of a sudden, poof, they were all in bloom. Well, that's the way the Word of God is, the written Word of God, Father, Scriptures. That's the way the written Word of God is to the world. And God planned it that way because uh, Jesus did the same thing when he spoke to the crowds in the parables. The only one that would, would understand what he was preaching and what he was teaching were those that were drawn to his word. And not the way the, the scripture, the written word is to the world. It's like a rose that is shut up. And it's camouflaged by its surroundings. And it's embedded in a world of thorns. But to those who the Spirit of God draws to him, it begins to bloom and it begins to open. And we begin to see its beauty and what it's made out of. We begin to see its structure. And we see, when it first begins to open, we see that it's, oh, it's white and it's pure. It, it's beautiful. And as we begin to seek the word more in our lives, it begins to open up even more. And it begins to unfold one petal against one petal, one petal against the other petal, until it's in full bloom. And when it's bloom, we can see that it looks like its edges was just dipped in the blood. We can see, as we seek even further, we can see that there's even veins in each petal and it runs from the stem of the source all the way up and it's kind of pink as it goes into the blood. But the unique thing is that each petal as it unfolds before you, the Word of God, the other, it supports the one that unfolds after that. And they support the other. Well, what the world has to, a tendency to try to do, and the American church is the notorious of this, they tend to take a pedal out and stand it up here on this pulpit, and it won't support by itself. It has to be in the content of the pedal that's folded up against. So we can't take 
the word of God out of its context. <coughs> Amen? Amen. I'm getting mighty quiet in here. I hadn't even got the topic. <laughs> but now, I want to point that out too. If you've been in church at all, and if you've been in denominations or religion or um, following TV evangelists, that you've heard tithe. You've heard teaching on tithe. A little, a little bit. Hadn't heard it very much from in here. But what the church has basically done here that is based tithe, and according to that, it's based on these three scriptures. One is in Genesis 14, and they talk about Melchizedek and uh, Abraham, and Abraham paid tithe. To Melchizedek. That's where tithe first began, and that's true. That's exactly where it is, where it began. <clears throat> God set the practice of tithing in motion in that scripture in uh, Genesis. Then the next scripture that the American church would give you would be in Malachi, where it says, Would a man rob God? It says, uh, You rob God in the tithe and the offering. So, it sets that law. And then the next scripture they use is in Luke. And it says that you can give, and it be given to you, good measure, pressed down, checking together, running over. This scripture doesn't even have anything to do with tithe. It's used out of, out of the context, but it fits good. Right? It fits good because it lines up with the bless me uh, theory of the church today. <clears throat> you know, the church has a tendency to teach in a summary level, in a milestone. And those of you that heard me in here before, I talked talk about that. But if teaching on a summary level or a milestone level, they tend to hit high spots, as these three scriptures do. And there's so many gaps in between that, it leaves you only um, trying to guess for yourself exactly where they're coming and why. But I'm here to tell you that today you cannot get from Genesis 14, Abraham and Melchizedek, to robbing God in Malachi, uh, yeah, Malachi without going through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Okay? All right, I'll take a break. <laughs> All right, now we get to the that's So then, <clears throat> what is the tithe? All right, yes. Most people know it's a 10%. Tithe is the giving of a tenth of one's income and as an offering to God. Abraham was the first man to ever recorded in the Bible to give tithe to God. <clears throat> and let's read that. In Genesis 
Genesis 14, 16. Now this happened at a time when uh, Abraham's nephew was living in Sodom. And some enemies of Sodom came and kidnapped these guys and brought them all into exile. And when Abraham found out that his nephew, Lot, had been uh, taken, he went to redeem him. And in verse 16 it says, He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abraham had returned from defeating Kedolomor, the king's ally, and the king's allies with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shev, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out wine, bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. Uh, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, God Most High Creator, God Most High Creator of heaven and earth. He said, And blessed be the God Most High, who delivered the enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tithe. That's where it all started, of everything, a tenth of everything. And uh, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the, the goods for yourself. And we know if we read the rest of the story that Abraham didn't take, take this. He gave that away as well. But I want you to see something here. And this is, that's it, just like the world. The man of God came out with the bread and the wine and gave a blessing. The world, the king of Sodom, he came out with nothing and he wanted to bless it. Does that sound familiar? It does. God's word had the continuity in it to show this in the scripture. <clears throat> now, God set the practice of tithe in Genesis 14, but it, it, it's almost 400 years later before we find out what the tithe is all about. <clears throat> um, when we look in uh, Leviticus 27, verse 30, We're going to skip back and forth a little bit between Leviticus and Deuteronomy. <clears throat> a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is the holy, it is holy to the Lord. If any man redeems his tithe, he must add a fifth uh, to its value. The entire tithe of the herd, the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the rod, the shepherd's rod, 
will be holy to the Lord. And he must not pick out the good from the bad or make a substitute. If he does make a substitute, both the animals and the substitute will become or cannot be, it become holy and cannot be redeemed. <clears throat> so this gives us, this gives us, some 400 years later we find out more specific of how we're supposed to tithe. He's talking about a tenth of everything. You know, um, in, the, in the time, in these times, they would take and run the sheep through a chute, a narrow chute, that only one at a time could go through. And the shepherd hosed out his rod, and every tenth one that passed under that rod would belong to the Lord. And uh, it said that we can't distinguish the good from the bad. You know, do we do that? Do we do that sometimes when we go to, we have a missionary or somebody that that doesn't have something and we have something we want to give them? Do we go through our closet and pick out the oldest thing that we won't wear or that we don't have to get to? Yes. We do. I've done it myself, uh, so you're not by yourself. No. But we do. We think about that. How much more specific we need to be with God's, what, is, what belongs to God. So we know um, when the tithe and what the tithe is, but we still haven't figured out what the tithe is for. You know, think about this though. Does God need our money? Yeah. All right. If if all of us would empty our pockets and our checkbook in here, would God have enough money? <laughs> no, God doesn't need your money. And this is something that we don't realize. You know. This 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 particular topic about the tithe is something that God tells his people, he says. You test me in this. He said, and see if I won't bless you, if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven. The scripture tells us that. Sometimes we doubt it. Is that not God's fault? The scripture tells us that, but you know, that's just like any good parent, any great parent. In him telling us to test him, he's testing us. Think about it. The reverse psychology. Uh, what is the root of all evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. And God deals with that right here. God deals with our heart right here. He says that he's going to bless us and take care of us. And this is the only thing that he says to test him in. Is because he wants to make sure if we're going to live right for him, the root of all evil can't be in us. Right? <clears throat> okay, so God doesn't need our money. And God uses only a man or woman, a child of God, to fulfill his work here on earth. We talked about Adam in the garden received that command 
to, to rule and subdue the earth. And the only way we could be redeemed was with man came to earth. And the only way that God uses, I mean, works through the earth is through man. We see that throughout. I mean, God could deliver uh, his people without using Gideon. He was hiding in the uh, threshing hole anyway. So anyway. So, but God uses a man to fulfill. He uses the foolish things of this world to confine the wise. <clears throat> so, what was the tide for? I mean, I'm going to read a promise that uh, God made to Abraham. And this is in Genesis 17, 8. You don't have to turn now. I'll just read this. You guys can go to Deuteronomy 18. <clears throat> the promise that God made to uh, Abraham, it says, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your, your descendants after you, and I will be their God. That was the promise today. We look in Deuteronomy 18.1. You there? Yes, the priests, who are Levites, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance in Israel. Oh wait, he just promised them. Here now, he says, they shall live on the offerings made to the Lord by fire, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among the brothers. <clears throat> the Lord is their inheritance as he has promised. Look in Numbers uh, 18.20. Now my message is kind of short today. Because uh, Brother Steve, if he's had an abandonment, he's going to uh, share something afterward about his testimony. It's awesome too. <clears throat> Numbers 18.20. The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share, and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to you, the, the Levites, all the tithes in uh, Israel as an inheritance in return for the work they do while serving in the tent of meetings. Get down to verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites, say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe uh, I have given you, your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. So the Lord's making a way for them to tithe as well. He says, your offerings will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor and juice from the wine press. In this way, you also will 
present an offering to the Lord from the tithe you received uh, from the Israelites. From these tithes you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's uh, portion the best and the holiest part of everything given. And so those in the ministry were supposed to give a tenth of the tithe that they received from the Israelites. Is that right? But I want you to know about this church. It gives a whole lot more than 10% out to, to minister to. We're going to get to what it ministered for in the ministry in the mission fields. Now in Deuteronomy 26, 11, we're going to turn there. And we're going to talk about what this offering goes to. Now, in Deuteronomy 26, 11, And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, the widows, and so that they may eat in, their, in your towns and be satisfied. Now, so we see here that the tithe is used for three things. For, number one, for supporting the work of God. For, number two, for providing for his laborers, the Levites, the ministers. And number three, to support the widows and orphans and the, the aliens. I want to look back, I don't want to leave you hanging here, back in, the, in Deuteronomy 26, it says in, in, the, in the third year, the year of the tithe. Now, Tithing not on a three-year program. Right? <laughs> uh, the tithe is a, was an annual thing that they gave in the harvest and the first fruits. And uh, they brought it to, to Israel, to Jerusalem. And so every third year, they would take a tithe and they would distribute it to the cities surrounding it. And the cities, and you, you can see that in that scripture, in the end of uh, verse 12, it says, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So I want to clear that up. All right? Now comes the fun part. Are you all tired? I need a break. I had to go home well. Hallelujah. What happens when we don't tie? kind of scared. <clears throat> and that's in Malachi 6. Malachi 3, verse 6. Let's turn there. Put your sticky note right there. Now. <clears throat> Malachi 
in verse 6 it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O disobedient, O descendants, I'm sorry, O descendants, <laughs> O descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Well, the reason he put that there is that they were disobedient. But the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. That, that says to me something because he says, because he does not change, because of the promise he made to Abraham that he's going to bless him and his descendants, that uh, they're not destroyed because of the disobedience. And that comes back to us. Amen, God, don't you remember the promise you made? Even though when I fell short. <clears throat> Verse 7. Ever since the time your forefathers, of your forefathers, you have turned away from my uh, decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob him. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. <clears throat> we think when we do something, and it's not just about time. We saw it in the time of Joshua when Achan covered it uh, uh, gold and that from Jericho. That it brought a curse on the whole city, on the whole tribe, the whole body. Because they were disobedient. So we need to understand when we do something that we know is not that we know is not of God, that we're bringing a curse not on ourselves, only on ourselves, but on the whole body. Now, there's a difference between being in grace and, and falling when you're trying to do something like you get up and do it again and deliberately robbing God. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Is that testing? Uh, says the Lord. <clears throat> and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will have not, that you will not have room enough for it. Now, that's where the American church would stop. Right okay? But we're going to read the rest of it. It says in verse 11, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines from your uh, fields. Vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Cast on their fruit. <clears throat> so the Lord, the Almighty, then, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be delightful in the land, says the Lord Almighty. It says that everything, what he's saying here is that everything you put your hand to is going to be blessed. If you put God first, and the scripture is full of that. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all in righteousness. He knows what we need. He's going to take care of that. And it says right here that um, if you do this first, he's talking about the time. He said that he's going to bless you in your crops and your vines. Now, unlike the uh, 
American church that is the Blessing Club. I'm talking about here that it shows us, the rest of the scripture tells us that there's a little work involved. In it. It's not like the king of Sodom. He came out and he wanted the blessings and he didn't have anything on it. Here it is telling us that we have to present what we have and we're going to have to work for them. Does that make sense? Yes. And sometimes, as we give the, the it's not all the people's fault, okay? Sometimes, as we give the tithe, the tithe are misused. Do we see that in church today? Anywhere? Let's go to Nehemiah. Chapter 13, we're starting verse 4. You see, they had the same problem back then, in that day, that we have today. And the misuse of what God had, what God had given us. <clears throat> I like this example because it's so fitting for today. <clears throat> what was that song? Huh? Nehemiah 13, verse 4. We're going to start at verse 4. And Nehemiah came back to uh, rebuild Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about that. Verse 4. Before this, Eliashib, the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was an Ammonite official. In other words, he was a political guy, you know, local official. And he was friends with the priest. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings, the incense, and the temple articles and also the tithe and the grains and the new wine and the oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while, uh, while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem for uh, in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned, and I had returned to the king sometime later, and I asked his permission, and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Elisha had done in providing Tobiah the room in the court of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, I can imagine. Greatly displeased, and I imagine God was greatly displeased too. Uh, and throughout Tobias' household goods, out of the, um, the room, and then he said, I gave the orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God, with the grain offerings and the incense, and also learned, now this is very important, he said, I learned 
that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given them, and that all of the Levites, the singers uh, and the singers' responsibilities and the service had gone back to their own fields. In other words, because they weren't supported in the things they were supposed to be doing for God, they had to go out. And remember, they didn't get an inheritance. They had to go out and buy a field. And then they had to make the living by their hands in the field. And they didn't have time to do the work that God called them to do because of the misusing of the funds. And that doesn't mean they wasn't taking the funds in. That doesn't mean the tithes or some of it wasn't coming in to the, to the congregation of the church. It means it wasn't going where it was supposed to be going. You ever heard that before? <clears throat> um, verse 11, it says, So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? It's going to be a day when all of us are going to stand before God and he's going to ask us that question. Amen? Then I called together uh, uh, the, the station and stationed them at their post. And all Judah brought the tithe, the grain, the new wine into the storerooms. Now, there's not a whole lot of difference in that and what goes on in churches today. But let me tell you a story. It happened in the late 70s, early 80s. <clears throat> a missionary in South America, from the state, he was called out of Louisiana. And uh, they'd been there two or three years or so. And uh, after a while, they, they started losing their support because the churches in Louisiana, they had just, they were going through hard times and they weren't able to meet their obligations and out of sight, out of mind, okay? But the man had a tremendous work there and they were doing what God called them to do. So he found himself, so he found himself coming back to the United States, come off of the mission field, just like the Levites had to come out of their post to go to their own fields. And he began to itinerate, you know, around Louisiana, around the South, and he got an opportunity to go and minister up somewhere in the upstate. And while he was up there, he got an automobile accident, and he was killed. I don't want to be responsible. The whole house of God is called, we're called <clears throat> to be stewards over what God gives us. You know, um, I heard this message almost 30 years ago from a, um, a, a lady minister by the name of Peggy Richardson. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And she said, the title of the message was, God doesn't want to know what you're going to do with the million dollars when you get it. He wants to know what you're doing with the one dollar you already have. Amen. Getting too quiet, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
brother? You gonna be able to share a little bit? Oh, yeah. All right. I, I, I'm gonna talk a little bit about some New Testament thing. I'm gonna just give out some. I'm gonna give out some scriptures. And I'm gonna call you share. <clears throat> you know the the. Um, New Testament doesn't say a whole lot about tithing, but it does. Okay? In such a way. So, um, so where does that leave us in the time? The answer is where it began. In that, that motion that God set in motion, it hasn't stopped. It's not going to stop until it meets the common temple. The last person on earth is saved that he's come in the ministry. For us to do our part. So tithing begins in the beginning. And what God started in Abraham is going on today. And you know, all godly men would have done what Abraham did. <clears throat> and rather we call it first fruits or uh, acts of worship or our tithe. There's something planted in a man's heart to, to give out of what we've been blessed from God to give back. Amen? Now, the three things that we talked that I've mentioned before, I'm going to give you these scriptures. I want you to write them down. I'm not going to read them. My brother come up and share. We talked about number one was supporting the work of God. And we can find that in Acts chapter 4. Verse 32 through 35. And number two is providing for the labors of the house of God, those that work in the house of God. And we can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Um, and number three was to support the widows, the strangers, the homeless. And we'll find that in Romans 15, 26 and 27. Now sometimes, sometimes we feel like, well, God, I can't give. No, I just don't have it. We've been there before. I'm going to end with this testimony. We hadn't been saved very long, and I came to my wife Joelle. And I came to my wife Joelle, and I said, uh, it, it, I looked at these numbers. I said, there's just no way we can pay this tithe. You know, this but we hadn't been saved very long. I said, you know, if I pay the tithe, I won't be able to meet my other obligations. None of my bills. <clears throat> so I didn't. But the money I thought I would have had left over, I mean, I got a speeding ticket. Something broke down in the house. I didn't get to use it anyway. So it didn't take me long to learn the lesson. In about two months, maybe three. I said, Joel, we got a tie. I said, I'm not going to make it, make my obligation anyway. So what happened? So we did tie. And, uh, 
At the end of the month, we had more than enough to meet our obligations. And you can tell I hadn't missed a minute. But God wants us to use what we have. You know, when he, he, he there was a time in the um, New Testament when, when they didn't, they needed money to pay uh, the temple tax, to pay an offering in the temple. And they didn't have the money. So God told, so Jesus told Peter, he said, get in line, go out, catch a fish, and there'll be a corn in the fish. Well, you know, we thought that was, that's a miracle. And it, and it is. But, you know, God could have told him, Jesus could have told him, he said, look, go down to the vineyard, this vineyard, and on the third row, you know, the second plant down, just dig in the root there, and you'll find some money down there. But he didn't. He could have told him, he said, now you go down and you're going to see a, a flock of sheep, you know, down there, a shepherd and all. He said, and you found a certain sheep, and you look in his hoof, and there's going to be a corn caught in his hoof. He could have told him that. But he didn't. You know why? Because Peter was a fisherman. God wants you to use what he's given you to, to plan. One more thing I lied, didn't I? <clears throat> um, the scripture talked about the tithe and the offerings, and there is definitely a difference. And we're going to eventually, I couldn't find a box, but we're going to eventually have two boxes back here. One for the tithe and one for the offering. And the offering will be everything else. The offering is the offerings given unto God, the Lord God, need to be over and above the tithe. You know, the tithe is an obligation that the Bible commands us to give. But the offering is from our, from our heart. And God puts something in our heart, and, and it, the offering doesn't have to be money, okay? It doesn't have to be. It, it needs to be of, your, of yourself, to, to giving of yourself, as you have a need, as someone has a need, as God moves on your heart to give to someone, it'll be over and above on your time. I'm not going to, I'm going to try to get with um, Draw and put these notes on, on online eventually so they have more scripture and stuff on the offering. Okay? Did anybody get anything out of that? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not going to hate me. Yeah. Okay, brother, Steve has some testimony he wants to share and turn the whole thing. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. You need a mic? Yeah, if you will uh, please bear with me I've got some kind of weird thing I've never set the worship in my life I set the worship back there today I don't know if you saw me sitting there I couldn't move and it felt like it sounded like somebody was playing music real fast by my head you know I was like wow that's weird so I have something kind of uh, going on here if I uh, lose my train of thought just give me a second um, the tithe and the offering is a pretty serious thing if you're here today you're visiting um, or if you just got here not too long ago 
then you know that we never talk about that here. Uh, Eric and Matt are gone today. We were joking. They were glad they were gone because they don't want to be fishers of funds. They don't want to throw out a net and everybody give us a check. They don't want to ever seem like they're hounding people for money. But the truth of it is, the fact is that this body, this building, this church takes money to make things happen. It just does. That's the way it is. We're in a physical world. We have physical needs. And um, so if you if you're here and God has drawn you here to this body, you're a part of this body, there's a reason for that. He has a purpose for that. Nicholas, do you have your Bible? Can you go to 1 Timothy 3? If you're going to tie in with somebody, if you want to build on something, if you want to become part of something, you need to understand what the foundation is of what it is that you're you're drawing near to. You want to be very careful about what you associate yourself with, what you spend your life energy with, what you spend your funds on. You want to be careful. You want to be wise about that. Nicholas, read there a little bit for me, starting in 3.1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, So, there is the definition. There's a job description for elder in the Bible. I love it. I have a job description. So, you have four elders in this church. This church is unusual in that this church has four elders. Two function as pastors and two function as elders and supportive pastors who can also step in as a pastor. That's a very dynamic model. But you have four people who should fit that definition. So I'll ask you a question. Do you have four people in this church that fit that definition? Eric, Matt, Charlie, and me. Okay, well, good. I'm on the right foot. We're starting out right. You don't want to tie into a building that's not level. You don't want to try to throw your lot in with something that's built on sand. You need to put your, your energy, your strength, where there's a good foundation. So we're starting with a biblical foundation of what we do and why. Okay. So, first Eric came with his family. Mind if I turn this off? Eric came with his family, and then Eric went and got Matt. God sent Darnell and I, and then God sent Charlie and Joe. That doesn't mean we're the only four, but we are the basis of the structure for the elders. When you have the basic structure for your elders, then you can start to build a body, or the body will start to build around. God will build the body around his elder structure. He will bring the worship team. He will bring 
the sheep. He will bring whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is we need. More families are showing up. Four of us are holding our tent pole up underneath the tent. And we're saying, we accept this responsibility, we accept this challenge, and we're thrilled to death to have the privilege to be holding up part of this tent. But more people are coming, and more people are placing their tents. Couples, singles, not just families, single individuals are coming, and they're saying, I'm putting my standard here. I'm resting my pole here. I'm going to hold up part of this building, too. We do that in various things. We, we eat together. We fellowship together. We move each other. We feed orphans together. We do all these things together. And we have to do these things financially together as well. We have to be faithful to what we have committed to, to hold this tent up. If any one of us let this tent go, part of it's coming down. You were drawn here, the precious metals of the earth, to be polished is what God's prophecy was. You were drawn here for this. But not just you. There are people we don't even know who are on the way. There are people we haven't met. There are people we don't even know where they are, but they're coming here. God expects that we fulfill our promise and our word, keep our word, be faithful to the fact that we said we would hold part of this up. Now, if you've got a million dollars... Hundred thousands, ten percent is pretty easy. Ten percent is one of those round number things you can figure out. If you've got a dollar, it's ten cents. It's not who has a lot and who has a little. It's to be faithful with what you have. It's to be faithful with what God has given you to use. Because, like Charlie said, you think God needs your money? God can do all this stuff. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns us. He knows where we are right now. He knows what we're doing. I'll give you a hint. It's a test. This is the test. The test is, he wants to be faithful to you. And the question is, do you want to be faithful to him? What we do is because we're giving and caring and energetic folks, we, we're kind of ADD a little bit sometimes. And we'll focus on one thing real good for a while. And then we'll kind of forget and we'll focus over here for a while. And well, we got to focus back over there for a while. And we're not steady. You know, we'll focus on tithe for a while. Then Christmas will come. Then Fourth of July. And then something else will come. And well, we get back over here. But the way the tent works is the pole's got to stay up the whole time. The tent's got to stay up the whole time or it doesn't work out real well. My wife loves me. I know this because she treats me with with love and respect. But how much love and respect for me would she have if she came home and the lights were off all the time? Because I wasn't faithful to pay the electric bill. Because I didn't do my part to be faithful with my part in keeping that tent up. How, 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 how far could she go with me like that? Probably not too far. But God continues to go with us even though we haven't been you know, literally lockstep in this. Now, the good thing is, this is a really good church. This is a caring, giving church. It's not that we don't give. We do. We give over and above what we're even capable of giving. No one in here is selfish. No one in here is greedy. Not one. But we're just not consistent in it. 
So we have to mature. We have to kind of grow up a little bit and, and be mature. We have to focus. We have to lockstep. We have to care more about the needs of others than ourselves. In that if I don't do my part, if I'm not responsible with my my part of holding this tent up, somebody's going to suffer. And I don't want that. I'm going to I'm going to do without to hold my tent up, my part. And Charlie and Eric and Matt are the same way. And there's a bunch of you in here the same way too. Married, single, new, young, old, you're all that way. But what we have to do is we now have to become more disciplined in our approach and in our follow-through. You know, you'll never be successful at anything unless you follow through. Now, it's a test. God wants to know if he can trust us with a lot. Because if he can trust us with a little, which is good for us because that's what we are. We're little. We have a little. You know, we don't have a lot. Maybe he can trust us with more. The way God builds his foundation is right here. This is a biblical foundation. This is what God said I'm going to build on. This is what God said I will do. We understand it. Now we have to do it too. So this is a family meeting. This is a family get-together. We haven't had a lot of these family meetings because we don't talk about money that much. But we're going to have to be more faithful because our months are erratic. Our, our, our budgets, our, our monies, our numbers are erratic. We can't really function like that. Something's going to give. Electricity might get turned off. That door might get locked. I mean, seriously, something's going to stop. If we stop, the energy stops, something's going to stop. So the test is for all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, to be as faithful as we know how, so that when we look to God, we can in all confidence know we've done everything that we could to do our part so that he can trust us with more for the ones who are coming. There are more like us who are coming who need us to be here when they get here with the lights on. It's that simple. I mean, if we don't, if you don't work, you don't eat. If we don't pay the landlord, they lock that door. Electricity goes off, water stops. Well, Bob will probably still bring water, but I mean, these things, it's a physical world. This is a physical energy that needs to take place. And it and it's not that, you know, this is not a beatdown. This is not a uh, this is a this is a bring order to the to the assembly kind of a meeting, yeah. This is a sobering understanding. Charlie's got a very good lock on how this tithe works, where it started, what it's all about. And now here we are in 2012, we get to function as a modern day church. There were churches formed on the day of Pentecost. How many people were saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people got saved that day, plus the 120 in the upper room who rolled out. They immediately formed a body together, loved each other and shared everything and it grew immediately. Well, those people are all standing before Jesus. Their church is done. Their time is over. 
This is our time, right here, right now. We are that same body. We are those same people dipped in that same Holy Spirit. We're just here. Our time will go too. We'll stand before Jesus and we'll get to see how well we did with what he gave us the same way they did. But I just have this real deep feeling about the love of the people here one for the other and the integrity of everyone here that I know that says, as a family, we can lockstep together and do this. So, what do you think? There's some smart people in this room. There's a CPA in the room. There's some smart people here. There's some determined people here. There are some very ethically sound, good people here. There's no reason why we can't work together as a family, love each other, and help each other, and talk to each other. If there's something going on, we need to share it. We need to talk to each other and see you know, if we can help. And you know that we all do that. We all share our homes together. We share our finances together. There's a whole bunch of people coming. Like when Nick and Sam got here, Haley and Alex got here. I mean, hopefully they saw us doing that. And they said that they did. Well, listen, these are quality people. So there are more people that are going to come in that door that want to see that same sound approach. What are you guys part of? What have you built onto here? We're not sure if we want to throw in with you. What are you basing all this on? As they get to talking to you and they get to seeing what you do, it'll be pretty evident. It's pretty clear once you talk to people who they are. You can figure it out pretty quick. They're getting smarter. I don't know if you know this. They're showing them a lot smarter. But we, in the, in the part of this who have committed ourselves and our families to holding up a pole, know that you have too. We want to honor God with that ability to hold that tent up and keep it up. And we want to honor, honor God with our ability to help you do that in any way that we can. And so that's what this is, is a family meeting about that. So anybody got any questions? Like, we had a we had a road trip the other day. We were helping Joel move. And we got into this really neat discussion. You tithe on net or gross? That's always the question. And I said, you can't. You've got to tithe on what you have. The tax guy took his, and that goes here. I mean, whatever I have left, I tithe. And Eric said, no, not really. I said, well, practically, tell me, how do you do that? And it comes down to, it's much more faith, much more of an adventure if you tithe on the gross. Forget whatever it was you ended up with. Tithe the amount that you would on that big amount. It's more faith. It's a bigger faith builder for you to see God come through. These are, these are practical things that we talk about. These are practical things that we learn, that we, that we have to walk through with integrity. Do you know how many churches have fallen because of mismanagement of funds? Somebody mismanaging funds? And then they find out some deep, dark secret later. Let me tell you our deep, dark secret. We love missionaries. <laughs> we spend a lot of money on, on missions, and we will continue to do that. Um, we have the only pastor I've ever seen. we got to tell him, please slow down. Please don't throw as much money there this month. Stop, wait, because he, he, he has the heart that God gave him that if he sees a hungry child, he's going to feed a hungry child. Well, who wouldn't? We all would. But we have to learn to manage our money responsibly carefully, just like we manage our households, 
or we won't be able to function at the strength we want to in the way that we want to do when we want to do it. We just won't be able to do it. So if we are consistent, if we are faithful, we don't let holidays get in our way, we don't let all this other stuff. Let me, let me tell you something that's in Charlie's life, it's in my life, I know it's in Matt and Eric's, and it's in yours too. I can absolutely guarantee you without a doubt, positively tell you, that if you put God first every time, your life will go well for you. Put God first when it hurts you. Like Charlie said, well, Joe, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the tithe this month. The moths and the thieves will come steal it from you if you don't. You should give God what God says he needs. What you See, each man in his heart knows what that is. Nobody can tell you what that is. Each man in his heart knows what he has, what his offerings are, what his gifts are. We all know these things. God shows it to us. But then we have to act on it. If you will act on this, if you will put God first, you will be amazed at what God can do. Because I've seen him do it with me. And look, if he can do it with me, he can do it with anything. Yes, ma'am. This was not part of the plan at all, but I feel the Holy Spirit just thumping in my chest so hard, and I'm, I have to be obedient to it. Um, <clears throat> I'm not really sure exactly what he wants me to share, but um, my initial feeling was the imagery that Brother Steve gave about the tent and holding that up and you coming in and you joining alongside of this. I have watched for years um, Pastor Eric and Jennifer set the example for this body, and I am so moved by their level of sacrifice and diligence and giving. And when we came to be a part of this, there was two families in the church. We were one of them. And they poured out their lives for us. And how could I not support them if I knew they needed groceries, if I knew they needed anything? Of course I would support them because they were pouring their life out for me. And that principle carries over into our tithe. If you have come and you've joined into this ministry, if you've benefited from this ministry, if you've received counsel, if you've received encouragement, if you've received the word, then it is your responsibility to support the work of God that's going on here. And this is not a guilt trip, but this is our obligation before the Lord to support what God is doing here. I want you to know that Pastor Eric and Jennifer are on full-time ministry here. So the tithe not only goes to support this building and electricity here, it feeds their children and takes care of their needs. And if you are robbing God of that because you see something else that needs to go on or there's other things going on, um, you'll have to answer to Jesus for that. And I just want you to know, put a face to it. These people love you. They pour out their lives for you. you put that face to it when you think about that, when you're looking at your checkbook and you're wondering how things are going to work out. These people have poured out their lives for us, and how can we not support what God is doing in them to us? We're benefiting on a daily basis for that. I love you guys, and I hope I'm not bringing any condemnation. I just, I had to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in that. Thank you, sir. That's exactly right. If you don't see Jesus in your pastor, who are you going to see it in? And if you see Jesus in your pastor, the shepherd that's been placed over you, then you can be Jesus to somebody else. If you don't see Jesus, when people come in that door, if we're not Jesus to them, why, why would they want to be here? That's what God wants to restore the earth. But let me tell you something else Cassidy said. We have seen families come and go. 
We've seen families that were in for a while holding up the tent, and now they're gone. And I will tell you, my best chance without a doubt to finish this race is right here. Right here is my best chance to finish this race. And I'm going to throw everything I've got at that chance. And the blessing that God's given me to be in a place where I have that chance. This is about running the race. This is about other people running the race. It's a, it's a very serious topic. But we can't always be serious people. We're kind of a lighthearted bunch. So all those heavy looks out there. But we are a family. We work together, we live together, we pray together. And there are ministries popping up out of this church that are unbelievable. And there are more coming. There's an amazing thing that's going to happen in Houston, Texas. There's a shaking coming, and we're going to be part of it. And I'm excited to be there. Let's say that this family, when it goes onto the field of battle, will have all of its gear in good array. Let's say that when this family goes into the war to bring the other people out, that we will have our act together so that we can make it, so that we can be successful. 